Well, I have to say that, uh, like Cameron had mentioned, this was one of those messages where I would say that uh, it was a little tougher to, to speak because, of course, um, when we talked about bacon, of course, there was no better person in the world to ask to speak this message because I am a lover of bacon. But it's also a very tough time this week, so we've had to balance everything and how it was supposed to go. Um, I would say that I'm kind of a food snob. I'm one of those people that I hate to say I don't have to have fancy food because I'm not a very fancy food person, but I really like to have some maybe um, brand name foods. I'm not one of those people that likes to just like try something new. I'm a tried and true loyal brand fan. Like I like butter, but I'm going to buy Land O'Lakes. That's just the way it is. You know, if I'm going to buy bacon, I'm going to buy Oscar Mayer. It's just the way it is. I'm just it's got the perfect balance for me. You know, so I'm kind of one of those people that. Um, kind of really just tries what I like. And if I go to restaurants, I probably go and I get more or less the same thing I'm going to get every time. I could probably walk in every restaurant and know exactly what I'm going to get. I'm fairly boring. But bacon has a hold on me. I adore bacon. I don't think that there's... I'm not sure there's ever been a time where I actually went to uh, have breakfast somewhere and ordered sausage. It's bacon. It's just bacon. It's like, you don't even have to ask me that question. It's just the way it's going to be. And I am uh, notorious for telling people that I don't cook a pound of bacon. If I'm going to make the bacony grease mess, I'm going to cook two pounds of bacon at the same time. Why do one? I have a spare. That's the way it's supposed to work. So that's how it works. Um, Little known fact about me, and this is a very true story. This is not made up. Um, I was raised in a family. My mother had passed away when I was seven, and my sister raised me. And my sister had a family of her own. There were three girls and her husband and my brother, who was a year older than me. Then we all went to live with her. And she laughs now, jokingly, and says, I cannot believe that I made one pound of bacon for all of us. And I said, I know. It was, like, traumatizing to me. So much so that I actually, my very first paycheck, true story, went and bought a pound of bacon and went home and fried bacon for myself and ate every single piece myself. So, you know, it's pretty bizarre that people love bacon so much, but I really, truly do. I love this amazingly salty treat. It's great. So this message, when we decided to preach this message, you know, we titled it, You Had Me at Bacon. God had me at bacon, man. There was just something about bacon. So I'm thankful that you guys came here today and you risked coming to try to figure out why we could possibly teach a message on bacon and how relevant spiritually could this possibly be. You mean, it's bacon. How could you make this spiritually relevant? Some of you might have thought, this is kind of crazy. You know, you're going to stretch a whole entire message out and you're going to talk about bacon. That's just fluff, man. There's a lot more serious things in the world to talk about than bacon. And I'm here to tell you, no, that this message actually has some real meat to it. It's not just going to be fluff. It's going to be real meat. That was a really bad pun. But um, why did you get that? You know, there is some relevance to what we eat. You know, today, uh, in 2015, we're still wondering about what's good to eat. And there's still people that still say, oh, there's certain things we shouldn't be eating as human beings. And this is something that was addressed in biblical times. Obviously, there was people that said you couldn't eat certain types of food, you know, that we could only eat in certain things that were fit in and clean, certain things that God said before was unclean that we're not supposed to be eating, and they said we're still supposed to follow that. So a lot of people still wonder today, should we be eating, having, able to have, like, bacon, or could we have lobster and shrimp and, 
you know, crawdads and those things like that, you know, gumbo. You know, can we have all that? And they wonder about it. And a lot of things I think people would think of, they think of more for the health reasons why we should or shouldn't eat something. But there's actually um, not just the reason why, like, you know, I, I don't eat two pounds of bacon. I can honestly tell you that I, I don't. You know, we probably shouldn't eat a pound of bacon. Probably shouldn't eat a half a pound of bacon at a sitting. Maybe a couple slices. But really, this whole idea of bacon, there's more to just the unhealthiness of bacon or the healthiness. It's not that point that we're going to try to make here today. It's actually whether or not it's acceptable in the eyes of God. <clears throat> so if you've ever paid, to other, paid attention maybe to other religions, you might have noticed that, like in Christianity, we have more freedom. There's more freedom to eat certain foods. There's certain religions that follow that you don't eat certain foods that are unclean, and they follow an old law. And the Jewish custom was that they followed the Levitical law, which certain foods were off limits. It didn't fit into the kosher diet, so you weren't allowed to eat it. Basically, the Jews, what they did was they followed, they still followed the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. So they don't see later some of the things that maybe Jesus had said that were different. So they're following these old laws. And then to them, there's certain things that are unacceptable. They can't partake in bacon. It's not clean to them. They're not supposed to. And no good Jewish follower would ever eat something like bacon or shrimp or lobster or anything like that. And that's exactly what happened with Peter. Peter was, in the Bible, a good Jew. He was one that followed all the laws, followed all the traditions of what was done in the past, and he followed them to a T. And that's how he was taught to live, and that's how he lived. But he has an experience that takes place. And I'm going to read it for you. It's a little lengthy. The scripture reference is a, fairly long, but it's really important to the message. So I want you just to lean in and listen a little bit, okay? Acts 10, 1 through 18, it says, In Caesarea there lived a Roman officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? And he asked the angel. The angel replied, You're... Prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and he sent them off to Joppa. The next day, <clears throat> as Cornelius' messages were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. And a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice spoke again, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. And then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? And just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. So we have this experience that takes place. And what to us what might look as like a coincidental thing where all this stuff is taking place at the time. God has a plan in this. And this experience that Peter had when the sheet was let down, and it was shown to him three times, was really showing him two really important things for him, for you, and for all of us in eternity to remember. 
And that is that all creatures that God made are acceptable now for us to eat. You know, we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to hold tight to the standards of the Levitical laws anymore. We don't have to do that. We don't have to follow what the Jewish people set themselves apart. You know, God at the beginning, what he did was the Israelites, the Jews, were always set apart. They were his chosen people. And us that weren't Jewish were really considered second-class citizens. We were like the dogs. We had nothing to offer. We were not good enough. So we weren't, you know, they were set apart. We weren't. At that moment, God was telling them that these things that other people are eating are acceptable. You can eat them, Peter. But then all that same exact moment, what he was doing was he was saying that not just that, Peter, but every person that you see, everyone is now acceptable to God. It's not just the Israelites who are set apart. It's not them that are good enough to come close to me and come close and, and be welcomed into my inner chambers to come and, and really commune with me anymore. It's, it's everyone's acceptable. So this amazing experience takes place where this sheet is let down with all this food, and you think, okay, it's just a message about food and what we eat. And we realize that actually it has so much more meaning than that. It had this amazing meaning to tell us that, yes, food, now you can eat what you want, but that you and I, who would be considered second-class citizens in the old days, are now just as good as the Israelites. We can come close to God. That's not what's going to change anything. We, we, could, we have to understand that, that there was a bigger picture in this, this sheet being shown to him. If you look at that scripture, like I said, you can look at it as coincidence. You think, that's not a coincidence. That's a God God thing that he had planned. God orchestrated Cornelius to have this vision at that moment. He had this vision to say, you know, go to Peter. And then here Peter's up on this roof and he gets hungry and he has this vision about food and it's lets down. And you think, why at the same time? How could this just be a coincidence? And you realize that that's how God works. The things that God does aren't coincidence. It's orchestrated by him. His plans coincide. They work like that. So when this whole thing happened, it was this amazing opportunity for, for Peter to understand that, yeah, you had the right to kill anything for food now. That's given to you. But he was also telling Peter that this Cornelius, that you're going to be asked to go to his house, is now acceptable in God's eyes, just like you are, Peter. You're no different. He's no different than you. And you have all the right now to go with these people and go to Cornelius' house. That's what he's telling them. So we realize that God always works on that deeper level, doesn't he? He he doesn't work on this level where a lot of times it's just flat, simple. It seems like God has put together a plan a lot of times that we don't quite understand how he's working everything out. And then a lot of times we get through it and we realize, okay, that's what maybe he had planned in it. So continuing on with the scripture... Acts 10, 19 through 29 says, Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man that you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, We were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he could hear your message. What's the message? The message is the fact of Jesus accepts him, loves him, and wants to save him. That's what he wants to tell him. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. The next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. 
As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, Stand up. I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and they went inside where many others were assembled. And Peter told them, You know, it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to even associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. In those days, if you weren't considered clean, you were a pariah on society. You were not acceptable. You had to actually call out to people. And you would have to say, I'm unclean. And you'd have to be so many feet away from them. There was a separation all the time, not just with God, but with people. There was always this feeling that some people were better than other people. Some people were more righteous. Some people more God-fearing. And God said, that's not the case. That's not how it works. Nobody is just better than another person because of that. You know, Adrian Rogers, one of the greatest preachers ever, said the most level place in the world is at the foot of the cross. The fact that we have the right, no matter who we are, no matter how our heritage is, no matter the past we are, whether or not what our background is and our, our lineage, none of that matters. It just matters the fact that we have a God who loves us that we can come close to if we desire, and he accepts us. That's what it's all about. So when Peter tells, or Peter tells this Cornelius, get up, I'm a simple human being like you, nothing more, that was like radical. That was radical. Just the day before, I'm sure he would have kept him at an arm's length. He would never walk in that house because everything in that house would have considered unclean, not good enough not acceptable. And when you were by an unclean person, it made you unclean, which meant the fact that you yourself could not worship God. To an Israelite, to a Jew, that was very important. So you could see that the change that took place in this was not just the fact that we get to eat meat that we've never had before. It's the fact that there's this welcoming in to God's family. This whole thing has changed. Do you see why I love bacon so much? God had me a bacon. That's what it was all about. See, the whole thing is when we eat bacon, we eat shellfish, we eat lobster, we have gumbo, we have this opportunity not just to enjoy it because it tastes good, but we have an opportunity to say at that moment, God, thank you. Thank you for my salvation because I'm welcomed into your family just like anybody else now. That's what's so amazing. See, the thing is there's so much of a bigger picture What looks like it's so simple, it happened really was so much bigger for us to understand. This was life-changing. Life-changing for all the communities, the people. You imagine the people that heard that Peter went to this guy's house? What? You went into an unclean person's house? How are you, Peter, going to tell me that you're going to worship God now? Because you're unclean. And he says, no, no, that's not the vision. God told me that's not the way it is no more. So every time I eat bacon, man, I consider myself worthy to be one of God's kids. Can I get an amen for bacon, man? Amen. How wonderful. Bacon is so relevant for our faith. You never knew that. I never knew that when I was like 17 and cooking bacon. I had no idea what that meant. I didn't learn it for another 10 years that I was going to understand what Jesus was all about. But this bacon, man, it's a truly a spiritual thing. It truly is. This door was open for Gentiles to become Christians who were once not allowed in. Now they're welcomed in with open arms to God. Isn't that how great? That's how great our God is. 
that he doesn't hold us at arm's distance. He always welcomes us in and gives us a hug and tells us he loves us. At that moment, everything changed. What it was is that we fit in. See, the kosher laws, the Levitical laws were that you had to eat foods that fit into this Levitical law way of eating. What was amazing that happened in that transformation was the fact that we ourselves now fit in. We fit in. We are kosher to God. We are acceptable to him. So not only do we get these, this treat, but like I say, we are acceptable. And this is actually the second time that actually Peter heard this. And I think Peter is just like us. A lot of times we hear these things, but, you know, they go in one ear and out the other. And a lot of times what we do is we still look at people as some people meaning being more meaningful or maybe they have a higher education and we look at them and think that they're more... Um, more worthy of our attention, or maybe they drive a better car and look at them, they have more money than us. And we have this idea thinking that there's levels of acceptance. And that's not what it's all about. But you know what? Peter was like us. Where we say that we, we don't believe that, we think that when we come to Christ that we believe that Jesus has saved every one of us, that we're all the same. But yet we still play that game, don't we? From time to time, look at somebody and say maybe that they have more value than another person just because they have what they have or they're educated, money, looks. It's not the case. That's not what it's all about. But Peter, he was already told this. He was told this in the past. See, this, what this happened, it happened after Jesus was already walking the earth with these guys, with the disciples, and Jesus himself already told the disciples this, but unfortunately went in one ear and out the other, just like it does with us many times. In Mark 7, 14 and 15, it says that Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. That's the difference. So Jesus actually had already told him this. But see, the thing, it was easy to go back to the old way. It's easy to go back to always following rules. For some reason, we push against rules, but for some reason we like to like follow into the rules sometimes and, and make ourselves feel good because we're doing a certain thing, a certain way, or, or maybe like wearing a certain thing or reading a certain book. That's how we feel. And God just always had to keep going back and reminding these disciples, and he reminds us every time to be thankful for what you have, but also never look down on another person just because of who they are or what they have. Everyone is acceptable, acceptable to God. It's a person's heart, their heart that reflects everything. What's inside their heart? You have to ask yourself, what's inside your heart? What kind of person are you? What do you reflect? When Peter got this vision, I think it was just basically because they weren't following what he already told them. He says, I already told you this, Peter. I already told you that it doesn't matter. What goes into a person doesn't defile them. It's what's in their heart that makes the difference. It actually says in the Bible, it talks about this, is what actually goes into you and goes into the sewer. That doesn't make a difference. You know, the one thing I love about God's word, he's very, very real, isn't he? You read the Bible and you realize that the way that God spoke was so real. You didn't have to worry about getting the, the point of what he was making. But again, we follow and, and try to think that some people are better than others. Some people are more acceptable to be God to God because of maybe an outward appearance. You know, we here at Acts don't stress what you wear. It doesn't matter to us. It doesn't matter to God, we believe. 
still there's going to be some people that would say uh, to come up and to preach a message in jeans is not acceptable. I think God's word being preached is more so important than what we wear. That's not the point. But the thing is, Paul had to actually address it again. And I think that's so telling. I think the Bible gives us little clues. And I think the fact that Paul again had to address it to Peter one more time, we could see again he started to look at people and think that some people were more meaningful and acceptable than others. Peter again had to be told. It seems like Peter had to be told three times a lot on things. You know, it seems like three times is kind of like a theme in Peter's life. But in Romans 14, 17 through 19, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, then you will please God, and others will approve of you, too. So let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. What happened with Peter at the time was he believed the fact that circumcision wasn't necessary, that that was also a Levitical law, that was a, a tradition in the past that was something that you had to have to be acceptable to God. And Peter believed, once he met Jesus, that that was not, no longer necessary. But what happened is when he got around his cronies, his friends, when they all got together there, he would eat at first with the Gentiles. But then over time, when all of his Jewish people, his peeps came by, what he did was he started to say, I'm going to eat with them. I feel a little bit better when I'm with them. So Paul had to sit there and say, Peter, what are you doing? Again, you know better. You're telling people there's freedom in Christ, and yet you're going back and you're looking as though like certain people are more acceptable to God than others. It's what we have a guilt of doing ourselves. But it's not what we eat, and it's not what we drink that's ever going to make us unacceptable to God. We can eat all the bacon we want. Granted, you're going to gain weight, and you're probably going to get high cholesterol. (laughs) But to God, it's okay. You can eat bacon. You can have those things. Because it's not what we eat. It's what we have in our heart. It's that goodness, that peacefulness, that joy. What we put out is what's actually important. Luke 6, 43 through 45 says, A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So that's what you need more so to be concerned with. What is in your heart? What kind of a person are we? Do we play favorites? Do we love Christ? Do we say we love Christ, but do we still play the game like Peter did? We're thinking that certain people are more meaningful than others. Do we follow traditions? Do we follow old Levitical laws that make us feel good for us when really it doesn't please God anymore? We have to understand what God's asking us here, that those things that we do sometimes doesn't make us more acceptable to God. It's just the fact that we just accept him and love him and then really try to live a life that's goodness and peace and joy and welcoming to everybody else that we meet. That's what makes the difference. We are so much more than what we eat. Everybody in the world tells us, you are what you eat. God's telling us, no, you are not. We are so much more than what we eat. That's not it. That's not the plan. I just want to leave you with today this idea and understanding the fact that there is freedom in Christ. 
And obviously we have it. We have the opportunity to be free. And all God really asks is that we come and we love him. And that we examine ourselves and we look at ourselves and we think, okay, what does my life count for? And I think that's kind of what I wanted to leave with today is really for us to think about what our life stands for. And really, we're all grieving and dealing with what happened with Carrie. And I look back and I think about with Carrie and I think, Carrie truly would be the first person to say amen when I said, hallelujah for bacon. She would have. Because Carrie understood that we can use a message like bacon to reach people for Christ. She fell in love with Jesus herself. And I think that this church was a perfect place for Carrie. Because this was a place that did things not too serious. That we would just be fun and maybe do things a little different and not be so traditional. But, you know, Carrie was one of those people that... um, She didn't really fall in love with God immediately. I think she wanted to, but she struggled from time to time. And it was one of those people that actually, like, you know if you try to push a a vending machine over, you have to kind of push it, and you almost have to start rocking it, and you have to get a little bit more weight behind it, and finally it topples over? That's kind of what happened with Carrie. Carrie was one of those people that really wanted to love God, but for a while there she would just kind of fight against it. She had a draw of what the world was telling her also. But you know, the thing is, when she finally fell over and she fell for Jesus, she fell hard. She really, really meant it with all of her heart. And the one thing I saw about Carrie is that Carrie accepted everybody. I saw Carrie walk up to anybody. It didn't matter who they were with a big smile and a big, bright red lipstick, (laughs) open arm smile to them and tell them that they're happy. She's so happy to see them there and that she loved him. One of the things that you thought about Carrie is that you knew that she loved big. Everything she said was love. I I always got a kick out of her because, like, everything was over the top. I love Dave Matthews. I love that. I love this. You know, Carrie really, when she did fall in love with God, she really fell hard for God. And I really think it's just really a time, you know, we, we're teaching a message that's kind of lighthearted about bacon, but really it's so much more deeper than that. It's so much more deep than that. I mean, this idea of, of bacon can be utilized in the fact that, that you and I need to stop and think about where our lives are going, that we need to think about what's in our heart, someone like, someone like Carrie did, you know? I think that's one thing that Carrie would want is for us to really stop and think. Because, you know, I remember the day when she finally got it. I remember to, we walked on the walk in the back, and I walked out here, and she came up to me, and she was crying, and she said to me, she goes, I just feel like everything just fell into place. Like, I get it. I get why you praise God. I get why you're excited. I get why you get joyful. I never understood it before. But God really gra- grabbed hold of her and, and showed her how much he loved her, too. And I think that should give us all comfort, the fact that we know that. That's security. You know, none of us could go on. I don't think any of us could go on today and be here if it wasn't for the fact that we know that Carrie is eternally secure with her God. She loved Jesus, and she's with him. Like Cameron said, she's praising God in heaven. And I think that should give us some peace. Not that it's easy. It's not easy at all. 
you know, Cameron and I were talking, and I said, I think it's one of those experiences where you kind of, you feel this tearing apart, this separation that you know that you're never going to be able to lay your eyes on this beautiful person again and hear her laughter and just be with her, with her, that fun spirit that she had. And it's that separation that just kind of tears you up. But I really think it's just a mere glimpse of what we have to understand is the fact that Jesus loves you like that. And he doesn't want to be separated from you like that either and for all eternity. See, the thing is, we're going to, when we see, we get to see Carrie again. Those of us who believe, we get to go and be with her again someday. And that separation is very small considering what God has to deal with when he has one of his children really say he doesn't, they don't want him. It's an eternal separation. It's so hard for us as mothers and fathers to understand that God could possibly love our kids as much as we love them. But God's word says he does. God says he's so in tune to each one of us. He pays attention that all of us matter to him. Nobody is better than another. Everyone is acceptable to him. We're all of creation. So really just today I want to end us with the idea that to self-reflect, to really think about who you are and how you love God. Do you love God? Have you made him first? Have you accepted him as your savior? You know, the thing is, all of us are acceptable, but yet we still need salvation. We still need our Father, our, you know, the, the, to go to the cross for us. That's what we need. So really today is just to really end with the idea that I just want to give you an opportunity. I want to pray for you, really for you to think about the fact of, like, where you're headed. Life is very fragile, None of us last week would have looked at Carrie and thought, where would we be this week? Never. I think all of us, for some reason, feel insulated. All of us, at some point, kind of feel as though, like, we have all the time in the world. And it's not true. And it's not really to make this so, so heavy, but I want you to think about your salvation. I want you to think about what's the next place. What's next? What's going to happen to you? So I want to pray with you, but also give you an opportunity. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you've never really just said, God, I do need your forgiveness. All of us are sinners. Every one of us have failed. But if that's you, that you really have an opportunity today. And I think that's what we need to end with is really the idea. And I think that's what probably would be most honoring to Carrie is the fact that we would do that today in honor of her, that we would really think about where our lives are going. So I really just want to pray with you. just want to bow your heads for a minute, really just to give really respect to the people that are sitting next to you because it is a private thing. And obviously God is the one who sees your heart. He knows what you're going through right now. He sees pain. He knows your struggles. And maybe you didn't know Carrie, and you're like, that's great. I don't know her. But, you know, I can tell you that this is about you too. I mean, this is about you and where you're sitting today. I really want to give you an opportunity that if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, that you could do that today. And it's so simple. I mean, all it is is really saying, God, I thank you. I know Jesus died for my sins, and I accept the fact that you have forgiven me and that I'm going to make you important in my life. I'm going to put you as number one. And that's all it is. It's such a simple thing to do. But it's life-changing. And it's something that Carrie took 
and made important in her life. So if you've never done that today, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, um, I just really want to give you an opportunity to really do that. So if you have never done that, if you just would want to raise your hands and we'll pray for you. If you've never accepted Jesus, I see your hand. Is there anybody else that needs to really accept Jesus as their Savior today? Okay, well, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just ask, Lord God, that you just be with this person, Lord God, who just needs your acceptance, Lord, that wants to be forgiven, Lord, for the sins that they have. And I pray, Father, that you would just make yourself so real in their life, Lord, that they would know, Lord God, how much it is that you love them. Lord, we're thankful for what you're going to do in their lives, Lord. And I pray for each person that's here that does have a relationship with you, Lord, that is already following after you. I pray that their hearts would truly reflect the goodness and the love and the kindness that you have shown to us, to every person that they come in contact with. I pray, Lord, that every time that each one of us enjoys something, Lord God, that's been given to us that was once considered no good, that we would just do our eating, Lord God, in praise of you for everything that you give us and all the gifts and the goodness that you are. I just pray that you just bless each person that's here today. Help them to grow closer to you. Help them to know how much it is that you love them, Lord. And like I said before, that we'd go out of here different people, that we would be renewed by being in your presence. We just thank you for what you're going to do here today, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you understood where all that was going. (laughs) And I'm happy that you joined us. Come back next week and come for Cameron's message. This means war. It's going to be awesome.